Well, good morning. That uh, clip sets a little bit of the stage for our teaching time together this morning. Uh, My name is Brad. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at uh, Jericho Ridge. And uh, that scene, of course, is from the newest Mission Impossible movie, Ghost Protocol, but really it could be from any Mission Impossible movie, the phone booth, the cryptic voice saying your mission should you choose to accept it, uh, the sense of danger and thrill and all of those things. How many, how many of you have seen the movie? Okay, a few of you have. I, my father-in-law and I, uh, we did the, um, the unholy trinity of Christmas responsibilities in our household. Stuff your face with turkey, uh, read Luke 2, and then go see a movie. And so we went to see uh, Ghost Protocol in the last weekend of December because the Cineplex gift cards that we got were burning a hole in our pocket. And so we thought we should do that. But it was fun. Uh, the thing I, I love about the Mission Impossible movie and the franchise is that little phrase, your mission, should you choose to accept it. And this week we're continuing our study in the second half of the book of Acts and in the New Testament. And we're going to see a person that has such penetrating clarity about his mission and who has accepted it so fully and that despite all of the risks and the challenges associated with it, uh, that the gospel has taken root and is growing and flourishing in world-transforming kinds of ways. And we're going to see how the gospel challenges each of us to ask and to answer that question about our own lives. What is your mission in life? What is it that you understand that you are about in your life? Well, our teaching series in the months of January and February is in the second half of the book of Acts, and it's called Now is the Time. And last weekend, we looked at Paul, and he was in a city called Ephesus, and he was causing a ruckus, and contrary to his usual modus operandi where he goes into a city and he is involved in catalyzing new churches in that and new faith communities in those environments and then moves on somewhere else. In this city, he actually stayed for almost three years and continued teaching and leading in that place. And in fact, he wrote a whole book of the New Testament to this church called Ephesians. And when you read Ephesians, you can tell that he really actually got to know these people very, very well. And these were his friends. And after he spends three years there, Paul goes on his, uh, continues on his way, and uh, the usual stuff continues to happen. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 20. We see at the beginning of Acts chapter 20 that there's a plot on his life, which we've now come to assume is going to happen, that somebody's going to get upset enough to try and kill him. And then we get this really interesting story in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and you can go home and read about it, where the sermon is so boring and so long that it actually kills someone. This guy named Eutychus, and the sermon goes late into the night, and he falls out of the window and dies because the preaching is so boring, and he can't stay awake. Uh, I have never sat through a, a teaching ministry that has been so bad that it's been fatal. I hope it doesn't happen to you here at Jericho Ridge, but will remain to be seen. So uh, we have this story, Paul's going around, continuing his teaching circuit in the Mediterranean in the first century, and he's now gone around three times around the Mediterranean, uh, planting churches and encouraging people, and he's decided that he's going to head back now to Jerusalem. 
And so we pick up his story this morning in Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17 and 18, and I'm going to read through to verse 27 in the New Living uh, Translation. So verse 18, as we read it, I want you to listen very carefully for how Paul understood, listen for his sense of clarity about his mission and what it was that he understood that he had been called to be and to do in his life. So verse 18 says, when the elders of the church of Ephesus arrived to visit him, he was going through on his way to Jerusalem, then they were able to connect and landed at Miletus. And he said, you know that from the day that I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly, and I've done it with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots against my life of the Jews, and I have never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sins and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit, or I'm constrained, I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me or has revealed to me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But despite knowing all this, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work that has been assigned to me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. And I declare today that I have been faithful. And if anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. For I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wanted you to know. So Paul is at this place in his life as he's um, getting on in his ministry and on in his life, and he's taking stock. He's starting to evaluate the purpose of his life. He's starting to ask questions about his priorities. And so he gathers together a group of people that would know him well because he spent time with them to, to test these things with him and to try and discern. In fact, this is one of the only conversations recorded in the book of Acts where Paul is talking to people who are already Christians. Most all of his conversations in Acts are to people that he's working with to try and engage them in a conversation about Christian faith. And Paul here is talking to people that he knows really well. And he's pretty clear and definitive about what he understands his life's mission to be. And I know uh, for me, when I was on sabbatical this last summer, one of the things that I spent time doing was thinking and praying and wondering through questions in my own life of calling, questions of priorities, uh, questions of what is my vision for my life? What is God asking me to do? What are the roles that I'm currently taking on? Are those roles a good fit with the things that I feel like God has asked me to do in my life? And it's not an easy or quick conversation to have. Because it forces you to ask deeper questions than we're normally accustomed to asking ourselves about our mission in life and what it is and what it isn't. And it forces you to evaluate and say, am I really investing in the things that are going to move me in the right direction in this analysis? And so as we listen in on what Paul is saying and sharing with the elders here in Ephesus, 
we learn some things that are going to help you get a stronger handle on that question in your own life, that sense of personal vision and calling. Because Paul understands it pretty clearly, and he understands how it's been worked out in his own life, and it provides a, a decent set of lenses for us to look at. So the first thing Paul understands, and that he shares in this conversation with people who know him well, is Paul starts by saying right away in verse 19, I understand who is in charge ultimately of my life. So Paul says, this work that I'm doing, this is God's work. It's been God's work for me. And then in verse 24, he says it again. The assignment that I have, this is an assignment that the Lord has given to me. I didn't make this stuff up for myself. Uh, I didn't craft it and decide this is what I want to do with my life. Uh, Because if you say that you are a follower of Jesus... If you have said at some point yes to God in your life and you have invited him to be your forgiver and your leader, you have given up control of your life to God. And so you don't get to call the shots anymore. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision, you'd say, I'm not really, I'm not a Christian. I'm interested. I'm probing around, exploring this kind of stuff. That might sound, this might sound like good news to you because you're off the hook for this particular bullet point. And uh, it may, in fact, it's not really applicable to you. And it may be a reason, actually, for you why you have not chosen to take a step of trusting fully in Christ and acknowledging him as your forgiver and your leader and said, you know what, God, I'm not prepared at this moment to actively give you control of my life. But if you are a Christian and you have taken that step The Bible says that your life is not yours anymore. That the authority transfer that happened when you said Jesus not only as Savior but also as Lord of your life, that now, if you're a Christian and God has given you an assignment to do, little or big, you say yes because God is in charge of your life. So if God gives you an assignment... For example, like he gave to one of the families here at Jericho Ridge that says, I want you to train and head over to China to live amongst people there and demonstrate my love to them. You don't say, well, God, that is a very interesting thought. I'm, um, I've become a little bit enamored with the suburban lifestyle uh, at this point. And, you know, it would be weird and slightly disruptive at the age that our boys are at to make a move to China and not knowing anyone there. And, I mean, this isn't really even urban China. This is way out in remote regions. So I I think we'll take a pass on that one. If God has called you to do something, and you've said yes to him as a leader in your life, then you say yes when he asks you to do something, because he's in charge. If God says to you, uh, I want you to practice hospitality and have somebody over today, Uh, for lunch, you say, okay, God, grilled cheese and soup it is. I got nothing fancy in the house, but we can go down that road and practice hospitality in this. So little or big things, if your commander-in-chief gives you an assignment, you say yes, because God is in charge of your life. And Paul understood this, and it prompted a humility and also an obedience in him that I'm still working on in my own life to get to that place. But Paul understands that you'll never get your mission in life right if you don't understand where it comes from. 
And so let me ask you this today. Who's really in charge of your life? Who's calling the shots? Who's making the decisions in your life? If you're a person who has started down this path of discipleship and following Jesus as Lord, then he occupies that place in your life. And you need to walk in obedience to him because he's in charge. The second thing Paul understands was that God gives people not only their marching orders for their mission, but also God gives people unique roles and gifts. And in Paul's own life and experience, God had given him an incredible set of life experiences that was very unique to him and very unique to then the call that God placed on his life. He had grown up uh, in a place where, a city called Tarsus, where he was actually a Roman citizen, which was very unique, and there was a very small group of people that could claim that at this time in history. And it gave him incredible things. We saw that when Keith preached about when he was thrown in jail, how that actually worked to his advantage, that he was a Roman citizen. He was a, a, a studied under one of the foremost Jewish rabbinical scholars of his day. So he had like the Harvard of educations when it came to religious history and study. He had a vocation uh, as a person who made tents, and so he could be self supporting because this was something that everybody needed and he could fit right into easily. And the amazing thing to me is you look at this stuff and this is all stuff that God built into Paul's life before God ever called him on the road to Damascus, before he even met God. God built all of this stuff into Paul's life before he needed it and before uh, he had given him the task and the assignment that God had for him to do. And then when God gave him his assignment, those things and the gifts and talents that Paul had all were unique fits for that. Paul had the relational gifts necessary for his work. He had teaching gifts. We can see that. Uh, He had relational gifts um, in working with small groups and larger groups. He was a skilled writer and apologist to defend the Christian faith. He understood his role as a communicator of the gospel, telling people what he says they needed to hear, not just what they wanted to hear. And Paul understood that God had built him in a certain way. God had wired him up with these gifts and talents and abilities. And so there were certain roles that God had designed for him that would be great fits for that. It's like in all of the the Mission Impossible films, right? There's an IMF team, which stands for what? IMF is the... It's very self-evident when you hear it and you'll think, why did I forget that? It's the Impossible Mission Force. Mission Impossible, Impossible Mission Force. They really are not very creative in these movies, right? It's just special effects and blowing stuff up. So that's, that's about all there is. So Impossible Mission Force. Now, the Impossible Mission Force, though, does organize itself in certain ways. They have sort of team roles. Like there's like a tech specialist always, right, in the, in the movies. Uh, and there's, there's usually somebody who used to work in the office and has been recently or not so recently promoted to the field. And they're usually the person that, you know, is supposed to diffuse the bomb and all of these things. But they understand that if you put the tech specialist on the front lines and ask them to do things, uh, that may not be their best fit in the team because they don't have the skill set. They have the skill set to do the kind of back office type stuff. And so they, when you push them too far outside of that, it really doesn't work very well except that it's Hollywood, and so sometimes, you know, they can make exceptions for the formula. But, um, you know, in, it's the same way when looking at your life and the unique roles and gifts that God has given to you. 
Sometimes, just as we saw in that clip, to save time, God pre-assigns your team. Things like your family of origin. God gave that to you. Uh, You're a byproduct of that. And so something in your history and something in the gifts and talents and things that were shaped in you as a person in your family of origin, God wants to use that in some way in the things that he's called you to be about doing. But imagine what it looks like when you try to stretch that too far and the technical specialist wants to be the front person and the office-based analysis you know, analyst is always insisting that they weren't field ready and they should be diffusing bombs. That happens in, in the life of a faith community too where people are not as clear on their roles and gifts and so they're stepping way outside of those to serve in different areas and trying to do things that maybe aren't a natural fit with what God's called them to be and to do. And so God has given each of you a unique set of gifts which will work themselves out in the roles and in the assignments that God has given you. And Paul understood that. He understood his role was like a pioneer-type missionary. He says, my, my ambition, my goal, my mission in life is to preach a gospel where it's not been preached. And so if you came to Paul and said to him, Paul, we have a position for you which we've just created. It's a chaplaincy position at a, a retirement home for old Jewish ladies in Jerusalem. Uh, and that is your new assignment, it would drive him crazy. He would say no to it because he has a sense of mission clarity. He understands his gifts. His gifts are not a good fit for that type of role and that level of stasis. So the question that each of us, in order to move forward in understanding and clarifying our mission, is how well do you know and understand the things that God has already built into your life? How well do you understand the gifts that God has given to you already and the skills that God has given you already? And how much clarity do you have about how God might want to use those things to work themselves out in the unique roles and mission that God has called you to play? Now, you heard me say that uh, I spent some time on sabbatical thinking through a little bit of my roles and mission and how those things kind of fit together. And part of the way that this expresses itself is in my sense of gifts and in my purpose of who God is calling me to be and to do. And it's still a work in process, but I'll put it up there for you. And just as a sort of point of reference for you, don't copy it because you have different gifts and abilities that God has given to you. Uh, But because of the sense of, of the things that God has built and wired into my life, because of things, the places he's put me in, part of my personal mission is this, that God has called me, as near as I understand it at this point in my life, to lead with humility, to teach with integrity, as I encourage and develop the gifts and the character of the people around me. So part of the things that, that I understand is that, that God has given me some gifts, some modicum of uh, some teaching gifts and some leadership gifts and fuse that with encouragement uh, and that those kind of going to work themselves out in some way in my life. You can also see some of the shadow side here. I need to lean deeply on God to be able to do those things in humility and in his strength instead of in my own strength and in my own wisdom and trying to push those agendas. And that I want to see that developing in the lives and the character of people that God brings around me. And so this starts in my home, starts with my family, works itself out in all of the volunteer capacities that I have, in my vocational work, 
Uh, Paul's statement would have been radically different than this. Who knows what his had been? But it probably would have been something to do with evangelism, preaching the gospel where it hadn't been preached, um, because that was an outworking of his personal gift set. And so uh, a personal calling statement is obviously much broader than this. This is just one facet of that. And if you look in your uh, insert in your info sheet, you can see a little diagram that I've put there for you to help understand a little bit more about how you might go about thinking about developing some of these things. And one of the things, the places to start is just look at your history. Begin to ask questions about what has God already done and built into your life? What are some of the people, circumstances, and experiences that have already shaped your life? And what would it look like for God to do new and interesting things as you began to allow him to shape those things for the future? So there's a whole bunch of strands that you can pull out and you kind of fuse them together into a personal uh, statement of calling. This is just one kind of part of those strands, that bottom part of vision and mission uh, for, for my life and how I understand that. And this changes over time. This is not the same statement that I worked with you know, five, ten years ago when I last kind of sat down to kind of do some thinking and, and praying and discerning through this. And so then you go about, you test this with other people and you say, do you think this is accurate? Do you think this is, this is reflective of who I am as a person, things that God has asked me to do? Which is what Paul's doing here with his team and the people that know him well uh, in Ephesus. And so there's a lot there, and the instructions on uh, the, that are, if you want to go deeper with this, and if this is something this morning that kind of intrigues you in some way, and it whets your appetite, then if there are at least five of you whose appetite is wet, uh, then we can do either a small group with this stuff, or we can do a weekend uh, retreat and bring in a facilitator uh, from the Canadian Conference, Dave Jackson, who's very well trained and, and skilled in this. And so if that's interesting to you, then send me an email and we can kind of set that up uh, with Dave if you want to learn a little bit more about that. That might be one direction that you want to take things in uh, coming out of today. As you try and ask the question, what are the unique roles and gifts that God has given you to play? And then how does that begin to work itself out? Now, some people, when they come to this question, they think, okay, I, I might understand what, what God wants me to do but maybe they don't have a clear understanding of some of the backdrop to this, who God is asking you to be as an individual, the question of why we exist. And Paul addresses this very clearly as he teaches through and, and has this conversation. He says, I understand the purpose of my life. I understand who's in charge. I understand what my unique gifts are, near as I can discern them. And I understand the purpose and the calling that God has on my life. And Paul expresses this, if I could summarize it, uh, the purpose of Paul's life was to make it difficult for anybody whom God brought across his path to go to hell. Whether it was Jews, whether it was Greeks, whether it was anyone who came in contact with, Paul saw the purpose of his life to be about declaring three things to them. And if you look in the text there, he says uh, in verse 24, the three things I declare to people are, uh, repent from sin, turning away from evil. Everybody I come in contact with, I talk to them about turning to God and searching for God. And then I call people to have faith in Christ Jesus and his substitutionary work on the cross that opened a way to be in right relationship for God. And so Paul says, this is my purpose in life. I want everybody who is around me and who listens to me to know these 
things and to uh, be active in trying to figure out what those looks like in their own life. And so let me talk to those of you who are, are listening maybe and have not yet made that decision that Paul articulates there in that in verse 24 of uh, coming to that place of faith in Jesus. You may have done one of those three things that he talks about in verse 24. You may have, may have started into that process and thought, okay, it seems like when I read the Bible and when I come to places like Jericho and engage in Christian community, they talk about turning away from sin, whatever that means and whatever that looks like. So that seems to be somehow important. All right, well, maybe I should try and get my act together in some way and try and get rid of some of the stuff in my life. And then the second thing Paul talks about is saying, well, turn towards God. So maybe part of that expression for you is saying, well, I'm here, aren't I? I'm, I'm exploring, I'm thinking, I'm asking questions. Uh, maybe you've done two of those three things. But if you kind of truncate the process there, you say, well, I'm trying to get rid of the bad stuff in my life. I'm thinking about exploring, getting a little information about God. But you don't actually take that third step that Paul talks about there at the end of verse 24 and says, uh, embracing the wonderful good news about the grace of God, turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of verse 21, then the process is not complete. Two out of three isn't going to cut it. Because if you don't link your search with that last action point that Paul talks about, faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, then you have yet to discover the true purpose and meaning of your life. Because the reason that God created you is for relationship with him. To know God and to experience the life that he offers that starts now and is designed to go on forever for those who are in right relationship with him. So don't miss out on discovering your purpose in life. And maybe today is that day for you. Maybe today you say, you know what? I've been in stage one and step two. I've been thinking about getting rid of stuff in my life, trying to do some behavioral management and trying to think about a little bit more about God, what he wants from me and try and figure that out. But maybe today is that day for you where you actually say, you know what? I'm going to take that third step and I'm going to actively trust God as my forgiver and as my leader in life. Maybe today's your day to say yes to God. And if it is, I want you to do that today. I want you to do it right now. And I want you to come. We'll have a response time in worship and song at the end. We'll be in uh, praying together. And if you make that decision today or you want to make that decision, come. Talk to Dave. Talk to Pastor Keith. Talk to myself or anybody in the prayer team. And we love to pray with you and explore those questions and celebrate uh, with you. You're beginning to see why it's so important to have a sense of clarity about your mission. Because a sense of clarity about your purpose in life, a sense of clarity about who you are and how God's wired you up will give shape and purpose and definition to everything else that you do in your life. I found for me coming back from sabbatical and working on getting clarity around this and shaping it and uh, a little bit more and honing it a little bit more has given me the freedom to say yes to certain things and to say no to certain things much more easily because I can ask the question and say, does it have to do with teaching? Does it have to do with leading? Does it have to do with encouraging others around me to pursue their gifts and their passion that God's called them to? If those things, if it looks like it fits those things, then it should probably be something that I say yes to. If it doesn't look like it fits those things or it fits less of those things, 
that's probably something that I should think about saying no to. Because otherwise, I don't know if you're like me, but otherwise, I, I just go through life sort of the path of least resistance. And uh, if somebody says, would you like to do this? I'm, nah, do I have the time? Nah, it sounds interesting. Sure, why don't we do that? That sounds good. But when you have a, a mission in your life, it helps you ask some more critical questions about where you are and where you're going. Because Paul makes decisions on a very, very different framework because he makes them decisions based on how they align with his mission or how he understands them to align with his mission as opposed to simply the easiest thing to do. And that's because if you look in chapter 20, verses 19 and verse 23, Paul understands that with his mission that he has been assigned and that he's accepted, there are risks involved. There are risks involved with his mission. Paul talks several times in this passage about the hardships, the challenges that he has faced because of saying yes to his mission. Verse 19, he says, I've experienced the trials that have come from various plots of the Jews trying to take his life and shut him down. He talks about how he has shed tears over and over again for people that have walked away and have become wayward and who are lost. He says in verse 22, I have this inner compulsion. I'm bound by the Spirit, constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what awaits me there. Oh, uh, wait, I do know, verse 25, this is the last time I'm ever going to see any of you, and oh, wait, I do know a little bit about what awaits me. The Holy Spirit did give me a little bit of info. Yeah, it's going to be in every city, jail time and suffering. And it's an intriguing way that he has this conversation on so many levels. Firstly, it's intriguing to me that God gives him a little picture of what's coming up, but he doesn't give him the whole picture. God kind of says to him, you know, in every city, this is what's going to happen, but doesn't give him specifics about the cities. Doesn't say you should avoid the following cities because that's going to happen there. Doesn't give him all of the information And I don't know about your experience, but in my life, it's certainly been true that God is not in a habit of giving me a crystal ball so that I can see the future. And even if he did, if I'm Paul, the question that comes up in my mind is, would I really want to know? If I'm Paul, and God says to me, your mission, should you choose to accept it, involves jail time, public beatings, almost drowning on various and sundry occasions, other types of public humiliation, hardship, and in the end, you will be killed. If I'm Paul, I'm looking for the escape clause in my contract. I want the opt-out button. My mission, should I not choose to accept any of that, would be what? What's mission B? Is there another way that this can get done? But Paul doesn't do it. Why? Well, because he understands very clearly the teaching of the New Testament that is the call to the Christian life is the call to suffering. The following Jesus ought to come with a label, warning, risks, and turbulence ahead. And the question that plagues me as I think about the way that Paul so actively embraced the mission that God gave to him even though he knew that it was fraught with risk and hardship 
to himself personally and those that he cared about. The question that plagues me is this. If God gave me an assignment that I knew was going to be hard, but that I knew was from him, what would my response be? If God gave you an assignment that you knew was going to be difficult, but that you knew was his assignment for your life and for this season, what would your response be? If God said to you, I have a child that I need to assign to a loving and patient parent. This child is a difficult child and will require extra grace. Can I trust you with that child? What would you say? If God said to you, this family relationship, yeah, this is going to be really hard. But don't bail out. What would you say? If God said to you, your job, which you experience as horribly boring and mundane, I have placed you here for a divine purpose, but you're not going to realize it for quite some time. So I need you to stick it out and be faithful in little things. What would your response be? See, many of us in our lives and in our spiritual lives are risk averse. And we can't sit here. We sit in in a place like this and we sing songs and say, oh, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, all to the I freely give. But when things get tough, we say, well, God, this isn't fair. Why did you bring this into my life? Why is this harder than I think that it should be? See, Paul understood with clarity that his mission in life was so clear that he could say these words in verse 24. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work that has been assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Paul has such clarity about the mission that God has called him to that he says, I am willing to suffer. I am willing for this not to go well. I am willing because my, my life and preservation thereof is my least concern. My primary concern is being faithful to the mission that God has given to me and finishing the work that he's assigned me. Are you willing to suffer? Because it'll likely be a part of your mission. Paul could say these things because of a confidence that he had and clarity about his mission, not only because he understood the risks involved, but he also understood what the finish line looked like. He understood then what it meant when he could say he was finished or mission accomplished. Now, most of us in our lives, we allow the definition of success to be shaped by cultural expectations and norms. We consider our lives very successful if we can make it through to a comfortable retirement, if we can move out of a basement suite and get a home with a nice white picket fence, 2.5 children, a dog that doesn't disturb the neighbors very often, two cars in a garage, and enough money in our bank accounts or ceiling room on our credit cards to do a trip to Mexico every year. That's generally a cultural definition of 
success. But friends, this is not God's ultimate vision for your life or for mine. It's not that God is opposed to these things, but you're not getting a good, uh, well done at the end of your life, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest for, for winning at the game of suburban comfort. It's not your end goal. If that's your end goal, then your mission and your actions in life right now will reflect that. You'll keep your money instead of being generous and giving it away. You'll choose very safe friends for your kids. And you'll live a risk-averse spiritual life that doesn't involve talking with your neighbors about your faith for fear of offending them and seldom cracking your Bible. You'll take the path of least resistance to the end of your life. And at the finish line... We will gather around your body as it's lowered into the grave and the sum total of all we'll be able to say about your life is they seemed like a nice person. Trust me on this one. Pastor Keith and I do about 20 community funerals every year. And when you don't have a clear sense of mission, any finish line looks like a good finish line. And so Paul understood that he needed to be able to say, he needed to understand his, his mission in life so that he could say with conviction, I have been faithful to the mission that I have been assigned. I have finished it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me the crown on that day. And not only to me, but also all those who long for his appearing. Some of you here today need to change your finish line because your priorities are not biblically defensible and God is speaking to you right now about some adjustments that you need to make to clearly understand the mission that he's called you to in your life and the mission that he's called all of his followers to be about in the world. And getting clarity about your mission allows you an incredible sense of freedom around that. And almost seems crass for Paul to say this, but in chapter 20, verse 26, he says, you know what? My mission has allowed me to be so clear. I know exactly what I am responsible for, and I also know exactly what I am not responsible for at all. Paul was so convinced of his faithfulness on mission to the point that he was, he says, I am not responsible for those who have rejected the proclamation of the message that God has given to me which is an incredibly sobering thought. Essentially, Paul is saying this. Listen, if the people on my block, my neighbors, my extended family, my family members, my friends, if they were to perish this week, I could say, you know what? Hey, if anybody on, on 199 Street uh, suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. I'm innocent of their blood because I made it very, very hard for people on 199th Street to go to hell. Paul is very blunt in his assessment of what he is responsible for and what he is not responsible for. And the image here that he uses that is drawn from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verses 1 to 6, where God assigns Ezekiel a post as a watchman on the wall. And God says to Ezekiel, hey, listen, the role of the watchman is, comes with some responsibility. So a watchman, if you're faithful and you see danger coming and you warn the city and the city still gets sacked and raided and burned to the ground, you're not responsible 
because you told everybody and they didn't listen. But the opposite is also true. If God says to Ezekiel, if I sign you as a watchman in your city and you see trouble coming and you say nothing about it so that people can't prepare and make alternate decisions in their lives, the blood of that whole city is on your head, Ezekiel, because you knew and you chose to do nothing about it. There's an accountability that is true both for the declaration of the gospel message and also for silence related to the declaration of the gospel message. And it's crass and it's perhaps very bold to say, but we got to ask ourselves as a faith community, could we legitimately say we have done everything that we can do to see everyone reached in our city? We have been faithful to the task that God has called us to do. I would say both personally and then corporately, we have a ways to go. There's some personal invites not extended yet. There's some mission opportunities to reach young families in our neighborhoods not launched yet. There's issues of justice and compassion untapped. And there's gaps between where we are now and where we want to be as a church family. And you'll hear this language that comes up in our mission statement as a faith community. Our mission statement is this. It says, we aspire to be a loving and listening people extending God's hope and reconciliation to our community in all of life, all of the time. There's some growth room there for us. Some growth room, I think, in, in listening to God, being a loving and listening people. Growth room in listening for those around us more carefully about what's going on in their lives and their stories. That's why we're doing three-story pragmatics tonight. There's lots of things to celebrate. And we can celebrate seeing our, our love for other people, people uh, grow. We've things in the last couple of weeks as the team is getting ready to leave for Guatemala, we're seeing incredible release of generosity and love of God's heart expressed for people on the margins of society. We're launching this summer a day camp for, for kids on July 3rd to 6th so that we can serve our community. Lindsay's back in Haiti after being home for just a few short weeks, working with the team there to extend hope and reconciliation to people devastated by the earthquake. Friends, this stuff is, is happening. And the exciting thing is that as you and I get increased mission clarity about what it is that God has called us to do as individuals, it allows us to be increasingly bold. Paul says, I didn't shrink back from the mission in any way. I didn't hold back. I didn't get to the end of my life here in his journey, with regrets. I came to a place saying, this is what God, I understood that God gave me to do. This is how I went about living my life in alignment with that. And I found people around me that were going to help me and walk together on mission with me in community. And as we began and continued to live those things out, there was a sense of boldness and declaration that came. And I think this morning, God is calling and inviting you and me and us collectively, to take some risks in extending the kingdom here in our community and around the world. 
I want, and my prayer for us as a church, is that we don't shrink back in any way, that we have a sense of boldness in our compassion and in our love and listening to people around us. We have the infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit to do the work that we have been called and uniquely gifted to do. We don't try and do everything. We say these are the things that God has called us to do and the the gifts and resources that God has given to us, and so we're going to focus those on the task that he's called us to do. The worship and song team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song of surrender and celebration that invites us yet again this morning to give ourselves wholly and completely to God again and to allow him to use us both individually and collectively to accomplish his mission and purposes in our lives and in the world. And there might be some next steps that you want to consider taking as we think about what that looks like for you. Maybe you need to get some increased clarity about your own personal mission in life. And maybe you want to come and talk to somebody or pray with somebody about that and say, I think these are the things that God is speaking to me about, but would, I just want to bounce them off of somebody to test these things and assess and discern them together. Maybe you want to do a little bit more of a comprehensive process and looking at your sense of personal calling and the roles that God has given to you. Maybe you need to set aside some time this month and ask some of those questions on the insert and probe a little bit deeper into your life and experiences and what God has given to you because he'll hold you accountable for it. And my prayer is that for us collectively as a church, we would lean in together and discern how each of our missions, as we get clarity on that and as we put them together, it enhances, complements, challenges, and enriches the mission that God has given to us here to reach people for Jesus in our city and in our world. Let's pray together. God, we want to ask and invite you yet again this morning to speak to us by your Holy Spirit about the sense of mission that you have called each of us to. Father, we pray that you would continue to shape and stir that up in us, stir up conviction where it's necessary, stir up encouragement where you want to pour it out in our lives for faithfulness in that. Father, bring people around us that can support and assist us in the mission that we have been called to as a community. And so, Father, we just say to you right now, would you speak to us, Jesus? We are listening to you. We want to yet again come to this place where we offer ourselves to you in faithfulness and on mission together to see the things that you want done in our lives and in your world accomplished for your glory and for your name's sake. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We say amen. I invite you to stand with me as the team leads us in these songs. Dave will be available at the side and the prayer team, Keith and I will be available at the side and at the back. And if you want to celebrate something this morning with somebody, if you want to pray and if you've got uh, things going on in your life that you want to talk to somebody about, come find us. We would love to pray with you as we sing and offer these songs of praise to God this morning.